At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com. This is Jenny Allen, and you are listening to the Made for This podcast. Well, guys, we have such an incredible gift for you today. You are going to love our guest. We're talking about indifference and what do we do in the midst of a pandemic where it feels impossible to carry the burdens of the world on our shoulders. We we can't. And I think we all deep down know that. And so what are we going to do about it? And the easiest thing to do is to check out. The easiest thing to do is to stop caring because it's just too heavy. And my friend Jen here today is going to share with you a little bit about her story of living in a place that wasn't always safe, that was very different from the culture that we live in here. And one thing I love about Jen, I've known Jen for many years. She was a part of our church plant and honestly, probably one of the biggest influences in my daughter Kate's life just helped raise her in the midst of that church plant and was one of her Sunday school teachers and just made a huge impact in her life of what it meant to follow Jesus in a radical way. We love Jen dearly, like family, and yet Jen felt called to go to places where I, I even today, I, I don't know exactly where she was. I don't know the country she lived in, and I'm going to protect her identity by just giving you her first name. But what I love about Jen is even though she lived in a place that wasn't always safe. And even though she carried burdens that I can't imagine day in and day out of the people she loved and lived with there, Jen has never lost her tender heart. She has never lost the just sensitivity to Jesus I saw in her as a young 20-something loving on my girl, Kate. So Jen, we are so honored to have you here. Thank you so much for making time for this. And and why don't we start with you sharing a little bit about where you've been the last seven years? Yeah, thank you so much, Jenny. As Jenny said, I've been uh, overseas for the past seven years. I was working in East Africa. I went over as an English teacher. And uh, my heart, my goal was to to go over and, and love on people and serve people in the name of Jesus. And recognizing that that there was so much I was going to learn as well, but I just, I got to a point in life where I was, I was ready for just kind of a a change, a transition and, and really prayed back in 2013. Well, it was actually 2011. I did 40 day prayer journey and just said, Jesus, where would you lead me next? And uh, at that time that I was praying, my heart wasn't to go across an ocean, uh, but just through uh, seeking his word and, and asking him what he had for me, I was led uh, into this community in East Africa. There's a, a, a strong Islamic culture that is uh, protected and honored there. And uh, so I was obviously going in as a Jesus follower, but just really had a heart to go be with these people and to learn what it means to love your neighbor and to learn what it means to love um, another culture to love people of another faith with the love of Jesus. Yeah. So I took off in 2013 and, and was there until March of this year when the pandemic hit 
And when the pandemic hit, I had to come back to the States. I had already anticipated leaving this summer in 2020 and then um, just had to do an early departure in March. So I had about 72 hours to leave my home of seven Mm. years and these people that I had loved and still love dearly and miss all the time. But yeah, so that's that's kind of the background of where I was. Mm. So talk about life over there. What was it like? What did you what did you love about it? Because I know there were so many things you did love about it. Oh, there yes. The food was amazing for one thing. Um, we had an amazing, vibrant um, kind of culinary selections every day. And the people were just the most hospitable, kind, uh, open-hearted, precious people. And going over there, I think one of the things that was so dear to me in the whole journey was kind of coming from an American faith culture, an American church culture. I think it's very easy to forget how much of God there is to be experienced outside of that culture, outside of our community of faith here in the States. And so whether it was Christians who were living in the country that I was in, who had so much to teach me, or whether it were my neighbors, uh, my Muslim neighbors who have also surrendered their lives to their idea of God and built their lives around their idea of God and and the things, the kind of general revelation that would come from them or the ways that God would use them to speak straight to my heart and straight to my faith. And, you know, this is biblical, but I think we miss it a lot that that God is 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 far outside of our American church culture. And he uh, does some really profound and miraculous things through the world around us. And I think mm-hmm. um, that was just one of the things that I will always love when I reflect on that journey is how what I learned about him outside of of what I was accustomed to and outside of my normal kind of boundaries for church and faith and spirituality. Ooh, tell us tell us a story. Tell us a, a, an example of that. Uh, oh gosh, <laughs> there was so much, but I think I, I guess this would be a great time to kind of to kind of rev up and go into the the kind of big story uh, of my seven years there, which is that about eight months after we arrived in 2013, I was arrested, and I was arrested on suspicion of terrorism. There was a lot of instability in the region that I was in. There were very honestly, there were good reasons for when I look back on it, there were good reasons for. Uh, local law enforcement to wonder about me as a American Jesus following girl living in the midst of a, a strong Islamic community. And, and again, as, as, as believers, our lives aren't always going to make sense to the world around us. And so there had been some insecurity, some instability, some attacks in the region. And so uh, I was arrested again under suspicion of terrorism. And I was interrogated for about three days and, and that's a long, long story that I'm trying to make really short. But in the midst of those interrogations, one of my neighbors, it was a Muslim man, uh, and he lived right next door to me. And he came up to the police station when he heard what was going on. And he came to defend me. He came to protect me. He came to speak on behalf mm-hmm. of my character. And again, he had only known me for eight months. And when he showed up at the station, He was wearing a shirt uh, from the YMCA and it had Joshua one nine across the front. So I was, I had, again, I had just been arrested. I was, I was in the midst of these very intense interrogations 
on suspicion of terrorism, I mean, my heart is racing. I, I don't, and I honestly don't remember much of even how I felt in that moment. I think I was so far removed from kind of my, my physical body and, and being able to process well what was going on. But I so clearly remember seeing his shirt and I knew Joshua one nine. I knew, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not fear, do not be dismayed for the Lord, your God is with you wherever you go. And I, I, in that moment, I just, it's like frozen in time for me to watch this again, Muslim neighbor walk into the police station with these words from, from the Lord straight to me in that moment Mm -hmm. in the midst of this terrifying reality. And I said to him, as I said to my neighbor, I said, do you know what's on your shirt? I just kind of paused and almost chuckled. I said, do you know what's on your shirt? And he said, yeah, I think it's from the Bible. And I said, do you know what it says? And and I, I told him what the verse said. And he he said, God, God sent me here with a message for you. You know, and so there's this profound moment of this is a Muslim man who's able to say this message from your holy book is for you from God. That was so shaping for mm. the whole season that it started off with this. I don't have to be surrounded by, again, kind of my normal uh, ways of worship and community and church. God is going to meet me right where I'm at with the people that surround me, whether they follow Jesus or not. Um, he's going to walk them right in with a message for me. And in fact, that man, the after the night of the of the first interrogations, the, the officers really wanted to keep me in jail overnight. And that man basically stood on my behalf and he said, don't do that to her. Uh, Let her go home and sleep. And I didn't know this until much later, but he basically signed a piece of paper saying that if I fled in the night, that he would serve uh, my jail time. And so you see this profound, sacrificial, Christ-like love coming through this Muslim neighbor. And you know, it's like, I, I, I want to be careful I, it, that I'm not forgetting anything, but I can't think of experiencing that type of love from another believer in my life, not because others wouldn't do it, but just the nature of necessity, you know? Yeah. And so again, to realize like, I will forever have a different and, and deeper understanding of that sacrificial love for neighbor because of him not because I was demonstrating it to him, because wow. he came and demonstrated it to me. We're talking about indifference this week, and, and I would love to hear what was difficult about being there. What were some of the times where you, I'm sure there were nights that you felt like, I just can't believe I'm here. I, I feel alone. Discuss some of those feelings and what it was like just to be so far from home and in a culture totally different than ours. Yeah. So just to kind of carry on with that story, I think, I think sometimes we hear, we may hear stories similar and we miss a lot of the nuance that exists and and that there's a huge spectrum of what happens in the midst of these things. So, so when I was arrested, uh, I ended up being cleared of any terrorism related charges pretty quickly, but our case ended up turning into an immigration case. And it was basically, there's so much to it that I just simply don't have time to share. But I think uh, it just became a situation where we came across as suspicious to a couple of people who had a difficult time and, and would have just preferred for us to leave, I think, to make things easier on everyone. And so they kind of created an immigration case. 
and 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 tried to accuse us of immigration crimes that that just simply weren't true. But that case lasted 10 months. Mm. And in the midst of that 10 months, so many things happened that I still kind of look back and feel like I'm just in a whirlwind when I consider all of them. But one of the most significant was that my grandfather died in the midst of all of that. And Mm. in the, in the case, they had taken our passports. And so we were, you know, stuck in the country that we were in and, and couldn't go anywhere. And for just security reasons and legal reasons, we couldn't even share with a lot of our family members, what was going on. A lot of people back home didn't have any idea what was happening and and so for my grandfather to die in the midst of that, and he was my hero. He was uh, he was a hero to mm-hmm. our family. He had been diagnosed with cancer just days before I left to go overseas, and so I had left thinking, you know, we we all have ways of making sense of what God is doing, and and we can pretty quickly often declare that. And so as I was headed out, you know, and he's diagnosed with cancer, it was so shaking and it was so bizarre that kind of rationalized it by saying, this is the enemy, this is spiritual warfare. And so I'm going to stay the course, I'm going to go. And then God's going to heal him. Because if I'm obedient, then God will heal. And God will overcome the work of the enemy. And so to live now, we're, you know, kind of going in many more months, about a year into this journey. And God is not healing my grandfather. And he is, is declining quickly and does in fact pass away. And he passes away right in the midst of this trial. And at the same time, we have um, a lot of instability in our region, which is ramping up. And so we're now not only in a security crisis because of the trial, but we're also in a security crisis of, are we physically safe where we are? Do we need to move? Do we need to evacuate? Uh, We did evacuate in the midst of that. In fact, the same week that my grandfather died, and so there was just the the intensity of emotion uh, in all of those experiences was so heightened that I shut down completely. I just, I couldn't f- stand to feel anything. And I remember so clearly there was a day that we had to go to court. Uh, we had 13 court dates uh, in the course of that 10 months. And Obviously, when you go to an East African court, I don't want to be stereotypical in any sense. But in in the particular place that we went in a village setting, uh, these are not comfy courthouses. They are uh, often the courts are mobile. They go to different places. They meet in abandoned school buildings and, and other buildings and things like that. But they're not they're not comfy. There's no air conditioning. They are packed full with people. And so you can sit there for hours and just be sweating, have, you know, no real sense of when you're going to be able to take a break for lunch or when you're going to be able to go get some water or even go to the restroom. And so there was one day, and this was after my grandfather had passed, that we were sitting in court and we were so packed in that we all had to stand. And I just started to have this anxiety come over me and my whole body started shaking. I'd never experienced anything like it, but my body was physically shaking, even though my brain was kind of shut down and I just closed my eyes and I'm again, packed into the people next to me. So I didn't know if they could feel me shaking, but tears just start pouring out of my eyes. And I kept saying, Jen, you you can't cry. You can't cry because you don't want to give the impression that you're kind of cracking under pressure because you're guilty or things like that. So there was, right. there was yeah. this 
perception of like all eyes are on me and how I handle myself in this moment is going to give an indication of, of guilt or innocence. And so there's this weight. And so these tears are falling and my body is shaking. And I just kept saying, Lord, I need you. I need you. I need your presence. Your presence is the only thing that's going to pull me back together. And Jenny, it was silent and it was dark. And I didn't, I would love to tell you this story and tell you some angel appeared to me or that his spirit just flooded into that room and consumed me and peace washed over me like a river. And it didn't. That was a a turning point for me in, in, in the way my faith held <laughs> mm. during the rest of that journey, because there was this sense in me and, and there was a spectrum of, of emotions and feelings after that moment. But there was this sense that if, if I can be in the midst of this unbelievable suffering and God's presence isn't there, then what am I doing this for? What is the point mm. of my faith? What is the point of following Jesus? If, if all I asked Jesus for was his presence and I didn't feel it and all I felt was silence and I didn't hear from him, then why am I doing this? And I went mm. through this real interesting season of a lot of questions, but it was like, there were some, it was such a spectrum. There were some days where I just said, God isn't real because there was something in me that knew I've always had this thing that if God is real, he is loving. There's never, I've never really had that thing where it's like, oh, God is, is real, but he's spiteful or he's, he's unkind mm-hmm. or he's unloving. Mm-hmm. I've never had that. I've, I've always said, if he's real, he's loving. So my natural next thing was, well, he's not loving because he didn't help me through that day. And so therefore he's just not real. And then there was the other days where I, I, again, rationalizing, I say, I know he's real, but I kind of went to this like really overreaching idea of his sovereignty, where I said, there is nothing I can do that's going to move his hand, that's going to move his heart. He just is going to do what he's going to do. And he is loving, but it's, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to feel like love to me. And he is He's an author and I'm just words on a page and he's, and I'm a pawn and I'm just being moved. And I'm in a way just felt this kind of like, I'm just being sacrificed for his plan. And Mm. it was a dark season for months. And I, you know, I, it took me a long time to be honest about that because you want to tell everybody that in the midst of your darkest pain, he's going to show up and flood your soul with his comfort. And I couldn't. And mm. that scared me because I was, I, I, I said, well, what am I, it scared me for myself, but also for others. What am I inviting other people into then? Um, if that, if he's not going to show up in that way. Mm. I love what you just did because you took us into the guts of that experience. And in doing so, you kind of showed us theologically what was happening. And and I want to say this, that that any of you struggling with faith, and and I, if you've read Get Out of Your Head, if you've been a part of this podcast for long, you know that that was really the toxic spiral that I was on for 18 months. So I know about that feeling of it just being dark and feeling like I don't think he's there. But theologically, a lot was going on. And I think that's what I want to say to any of you struggling with your faith is don't just struggle, like unpack it. <laughs> like Jen just did that work and she she can tell you what she was believing wrongly about God. 
and how that was affecting her. Like she can she can see that. Now that probably, Jen, didn't happen in the moment. That probably is work and time later that you could even understand it and unpack it. But I just think what we think about God matters more than we can possibly imagine. And so in that moment, you didn't feel anything. You're questioning your faith. What happens next? Yeah. <laughs> so it was it was a lot of days of that. But, you know, I I look back at my journal sometimes, not often. It's It still has its own pain, you know, so I have to be careful in how much I dive into that. But I look back in my journal and, and while on one hand, I, I remember this, this darkness and this apathy, this indifference and indifference is scary, right? Like indifference goes past I'm angry or I'm confused or I'm Mm. indifference. is the whole thing that's beyond that. That is, I think anybody, if we've ever had any um, relationship with a human, any kind of relationship, and you have been in that and you, you move yourself past, oh, I'm frustrated with you, or I'm angry with you, and you move into indifference, that's a scary place to be. And it feels scary. Uh, and so I remember that now, looking back, that that is what I felt. That's kind of my primary memory is, gosh, I was just so kind of indifferent to the Lord and what he was doing. And I didn't have, I I had lost choice. And I think that that's a whole other message. I had lost a sense of choice because where I had chosen to go where he called all of a sudden now I was stuck there. There was no, I don't, I don't get to go home now. (laughs) So I don't get to choose to go home. And so now I'm, I'm stuck with him. And when I feel stuck with him, then that now leads me when I feel like he's taken away my choice, when I feel like he's taken away my freedom to serve him. And I'm now uh, kind of gone beyond what, as Paul says, compelled to love, but now I'm just stuck in it. Now I'm sitting in this indifference. And so I remember that primarily, but then when I go back and look at my journals, there was still wrestling there, there, it, it, you know, we all have different kind of parts of ourselves. And, and, and so, you know, you, it can be true that you are part of you is wholly indifferent. And that might be the the primary part that is manifesting and emerging to the world, but there might still be other parts of you that are really tender and are really wrestling and unwilling to submit to that. And so when I look at my mm. journals, I do see this kind of like, I still That's have good. journals where I'm like, I am writing to God, you know, I am praying, I am being very honest and saying, what in the world are you doing? You know, and so I think we have to be careful sometimes we again, we lose the nuance of, of, uh, and the complexity of who we are. I mean, we're made in the image of God, right? The most complex being that will ever exist. And we are made in his image. So there is a complexity to us. And I, I would say, to, to just kind of blanket statement, say I was indifferent and apathetic is unfair to the complexity of who I was in that moment um, and in those months. And so there were parts of me that were still like wrestling, but that wrestling came from, if I don't have him, I don't have anything. I don't even have a passport anymore. So I mm. can't get home. So if, if I don't have his presence, you know, and, and praying that in the journals, God, if you do not show up, I literally have nothing left. And if you're not real, then what on earth am I going to now do with life? How do I live? How do I move forward in life? Not 
believing this because I can truly say I got to that kind of pit where you go, there is nothing here for me. There's nothing left. And so if I don't have you, what do I do? And so those months that followed, I continued to wrestle. And and what I can say in, in so much gratitude to our Lord is that our case was dropped in February of 2015, and it was miraculous and beautiful and freeing. But what the Lord led me to do, and I now know that it was him leading me to, again, these were things I wasn't necessarily feeling, but I can look back and see uh, where his grace was that in January, before our case was dropped, the Lord in his kindness led me to do a solitude retreat. And so I think I went for five days out in the woods completely by myself, spent that time. I I remember having this image in my mind that my being was this tangled up ball of yarn. You know, it's like you take a piece of string and you just wind it, wind it, wind it. And then it's a tangled mess. And I just kind of sat and said, I got to take all these threads one by one. I got to take the grief of losing my grandfather out. I got to take, I got to stretch it out and work through that. I have to take the grief of this trial. I have to take every fear that I have and I've got to pull them apart. So for five days, I did that. And, and at the end of that, you know, reading about Jesus and, and Bartimaeus and Jesus saying, what do you want me to do for you? And that was kind of this really key moment of, feeling Jesus again and feeling his presence and hearing his voice after all these months and hearing him go, what do you want, Jen? What do you want me to do for you? And I was so scared. I was so tender because I thought, well, I don't want to tell you (laughs) because the last time I was standing in that courtroom and all I wanted you to do was show up and you didn't, I don't want to go through that again. But I got to this place where I was able to kind of make a list for Jesus. And, and one of the things was not, you know, really digging to the bottom of my heart and saying, I don't want this court case to be over. I want to see my family court case can end or it cannot. And I can end up in jail convicted, or I can end up free, but I just want to see my family. That's right now. That's all I want, Jesus. I just want to be able to go home and see my family. And if, and if you let me do that, and then I come back again and we go right back to trial, whatever, that's fine. But what the deepest part of what I wanted was to go be with my family and my friends. And so I had this, again, this retreat in January and got to the place where I was able to start talking to him again, start trusting him again. And that was a month before the case ended. And I'm forever grateful that the trial ending was not the catalyst to my being restored in relationship with my Lord, because I, I can, I can say it was not dependent on the circumstances of what was happening, but it was in, in the woods, the actual wilderness, the actual woods that I just sat and said, Jesus, here's what I want. And, and I'm going to take this leap to trust you again and see if you'll do it. And, but also feeling that sense of if he doesn't, he's still good and, and starting to rebuild that. This is beautiful and I hate it for you because you're my friend. You're not some podcast person I'm interviewing. And I was a prayer warrior alongside of this time. I remember you sitting in my living room after it was over and hearing this story. 
and just being brokenhearted for you. And yet knowing too that the evidence of God being with you was so obvious to me, right? Mm -hmm. It couldn't feel obvious to you in the middle of it, but it felt so obvious to me as you talked about what you'd just been through. How do you look back at it now? Do you see him in it even then? Like what, what does that wrestling look like today? Not to tie it up with a bow because I don't think it's that simple, but I do imagine you see the same thing. Mm, yeah. You know, it, it, Jenny, it's like every day you could ask me that question and I have a different answer. Um, I think I absolutely see him when I look back, but what I see is that, you know, there are still days where I say, did grandpa have to die in the midst of that? Like that just seemed a little extra. (laughs) Um, we, we, did we need to do that? That, that seemed a little much. And, and, and the grief of losing my grandfather in the midst continues to this day. The idea that, that he never knew I went through this and, and, as long as I'm on this earth, I won't have that conversation with him to get his wisdom and his insight and hear his heart on it. And so there are still times now where I look back and, and I say, God, I don't know, you know, I don't know why you did that. I don't know what meaning there is, but I am getting better. I think, I hope I pray at just resting and saying, and that's okay. Like, Mm. it's just okay to say, I don't know why you did that, but I don't have to make meaning out of it to trust you. Because I know like one of the biggest lessons for me in all of this was that God is as my father, God is as concerned about my sanctification as he is about anyone else's salvation. And so my sanctification is so important to him mm-hmm. that yeah. he's he's going to let me walk this road and he's going to let me go places where I am crushed. You know, I am um, in some ways uh, brought down completely low in order that I'm in such deep, tremendous need of him. And so I think now I look back and say, I can't make sense of those moments. I can't make sense of the decisions that he made. I can't make sense of, you know, why when I was standing on trial that day and I'm having um, an utter panic attack, why was it dark? I don't know, but I know, I know that he is so concerned about my sanctification Mm. and my process of transformation. And what I know those moments purchased for me is that at the end of the day, it's like, you know, when, when Peter says, Jesus, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and mm. we've come to know that you are the Holy One of God, Jesus. I know what Peter's saying there. And I have now internalized that in the sense of for the rest of my life, I'll know that there's nowhere else to go for me because I, I know when everything in the world was taken away, what it, that darkness that exists if you don't have that to stand on, you know, and I think of like C.S. Lewis in, in Chronicles of Narnia, he says, I'm on Aslan's side, even if there isn't any Aslan to lead it, I'm going to live like a Narnian, even if there is no Narnia, that is, that is where I'm at, because I know there's nothing better in the world. And there's nothing Mm. greater (laughs) in the world than having this thing that I stand on. And so I look back at, you know, again, kind of like I said, I look back and say, I don't know why those those circumstances happen, but I know that my faith has been, uh, it's grittier now 
but it's deeper and it's more real than it's ever been. And I'm more passionate about it. And I'm more passionate about knowing my Lord and uh, walking with him and, and knowing that there are days where I'm like, I don't feel you, you know, <laughs> like um, this just feels really quiet today, but that doesn't scare me the way it used to. Mm. Apathy and difference doesn't scare me the way it used to. It doesn't feel as terrifying of a reality, you know, having kind of gone through that really long season. I want you, as we close, just to to speak to that person listening that feels like they're in a fog, that feels like they are apathetic and they can't shake it. How would you encourage them? Gosh, you know, I, there's so much, <laughs> there's so much I would want to say. And, and then on other ways, I would just want to sit with them. The first thing I would say is I'm sorry, because I know how scary it is. And you know, there's a million reasons I think we get to apathy. There's a million reasons we end up at indifference, but I know that it's terrifying. And so I'm sorry for that. And I'm sad if you're experiencing that. And I think in this season of the world, particularly, it is natural. And I think we we have somewhat of a responsibility uh, to kind of normalize mm. some of these experiences, yeah. right? Um, because oh, I, think, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think as a community of faith, we we have a responsibility to one another to to tell these stories, to normalize uh, what we're going through. I, you know, my 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 circumstances may have been unique, uh, but the the reality of what it did to my faith is not. And so you can get where I was here in the United States or overseas or wherever. But I think, you know, Jesus didn't come in to shield us from these things. He didn't come to shield us from emotions. He didn't come to shield us from the reality of experiencing grief or loss or apathy. He came to to dignify that and say, I'm going to enter in to be able to say with you, I am here and I get it. And I also have my own humanity that can stand with you um, in front of, you know, beside you, behind you in the midst of these things. And so what I would encourage anybody who's, who's in that to do is first, just let it be what it is before you go wielding it off with every type of sword you can find, acknowledge it, say what it is sit there with it for a minute because I think it, it it can be such a scary emotion that we start just <laughs> doing everything in our power. You know, some of us scramble into this kind of performative faith of, oh, you know, I got to pray more. I got to read my Bible more. I got to, you know, do whatever more. Others of us are just going to shut down completely. And what I would say is there's a middle ground where we receive it and say, this is what I'm experiencing and, and now is the time to learn who Jesus is in the midst of my apathy and my indifference to him and to watch the way that he's going to pursue me for however long it takes. But like I said, I think because we all get there in so many different ways, you know, mine, I would say my apathy was born out of an overwhelming grief and loss. I'd had a year of, of just loss upon loss upon loss, and I couldn't take feeling that anymore. And so I just shut off all emotions. So if you, when you shut down the hard emotions, you also shut down ones that can stir joy and things like that. And so you become again, just kind of this numb being. And so that's where mine came from. But other times, you know, we're, we're coming into apathy for a variety of other reasons. And so a lot of it's just figuring out, man, where did this come from? So for me, I had to go deal with that grief and it wasn't even safe for me to process that grief 
for two more years after that happened. Mm. I, I mm. kind of walked around in a fog for a couple of years after my trauma. And it, and it took a while for me to be safe to process all of that and, and to come back to life, so to speak. But I think a lot of it's figuring out where, where did this start, you know? And if this is, if this was some traumatic event in your life that you shut down because of, you know, like, let's do the work on that. Let's do the work to get you to where you can, it is safe to feel your pain so that you can also feel your joy. But if it's apathy born out of, again, just normal life circumstances, what's going on right now? You know, there's so much, like, I think if we're to look at this kind of season of the world, the state of the world and, and the, the church, the global church, but also the American church, if we're, if we're to kind of look at it, even like prophetically, you know, I think there's this, the Lord is stripping the Lord is really stripping and he's sorting. Mm-hmm. And there's this thing where he's going, Hey church, I love you too much to let mm-hmm. you fall asleep. Amen. And so right now we're seeing this time where, where we have a choice because it is very easy right now to fall asleep in church, literally. Right. Cause we're all watching it on zoom. So you turn that video off, you turn the audio off, yeah. and you fall asleep at church. Literally. It's so easy. Or you fall asleep to your faith because everything is shut down. And I think the Lord is, is using this time to say, Hey, I love you too much for that. I don't want that for you. And so I'm going to, if we pump up these circumstances and, and the Lord's doing a million things, right? Not just that, but like kind of if, if we look at what he might be doing, if we pump up these circumstances, there's this tremendous opportunity for you to turn and to go wake up, wake up in your faith. And so again, I, I, I say, I want to be careful again, because I know so many people come to this place from really uh, a wide spectrum of reasons. And so I think so much of it is just about figuring out where's that coming from and what's it born out of. And, and just practically, I mean, I know sometimes it's hard to, you know, we have these kind of like things that we say and, and, and I listen sometimes to things I say, but what does that mean? Like, give me, what do I do? And so for those people, I would say one of the things I did in the midst of, of my season was I wrote myself a letter and in the midst of it, I just said everything that I wanted my future self to know. And when I look at that uh, letter, I just grieve for that girl. And so it, it helps me not look back with condemnation on myself. But in this letter, I, you know, I wrote to myself in the midst of all that. And I said, Jen, you're doing the best you can. All evidence right now points to the fact that God doesn't exist, but you want to believe he does. And I told myself all these things. And I think when we do that again, it's going to help your future self look back and and discern rightly what was going on. But I think also it gives you an opportunity where sometimes the voice of Jesus starts coming out as you're talking to yourself. And sometimes what the ways that you're comforting yourself, you will actually find that this is actually the, the presence and the voice of my Lord and Savior who is comforting me and speaking to me right now. And I think that that can be a really helpful thing to do in the midst of it. Um, another thing is let somebody sing over you. Let somebody read the scriptures over you. Uh, you don't have to force yourself into like, you know, like reading two hours worth of, of the scriptures every day. Let somebody read it to you. If you've got kids, have a kid, have one of your kids come in and just read to you from the word, have them sing a song over you. That is what this community of faith is for, is to be able to say, I'm apathetic. I'm not feeling anything. I don't want to open my Bible. I don't want to stir, you know, I don't want to praise and worship, 
but I sure can let somebody else come and do that over me and I can receive from that. And I think again, it's, it's, it, that is what the community of faith is meant to be to one another in these seasons. And it's why it's important to normalize these experiences so that we're more equipped to serve and love one another in, in true love, in true Christ-centered love as somebody's experiencing it. guys, this is Chloe, and I want to remind you about an episode that Jenny did with our friend Jay a couple months ago on September 8th. The episode is called You Don't Hear Stories Like This Every Day with Jay Mabiro, and it is just an incredible story of what it was like for Jay to grow up in the slums of Kenya and where God has taken him now. So this Christmas season, we wanted to do something a little bit special with our friends at Compassion. And you guys, for gosh, going on like seven years now, my husband James and I have been sponsoring a little boy named Godfrey in Uganda, and it is just one of the coolest things that we get to do together. I do believe in child sponsorship. In fact, we have a whole little bulletin board in there of the kids we've sponsored, and Compassion is one of those places we sponsor. And the reason why is because we believe in their mission, that they are about local churches and empowering local people to rise up in their communities, to love their communities, and to bring healing to their communities. It is real. I have been on the ground with them and I believe in their work in a deep way. And so we want you to be part of this story. We want you to come alongside of Zach and I and to sponsor kids with us. And what that looks like is we have a goal of finding 100 sponsors in this season. Compassion really looks at the community and brings life and hope into the community in different forms and fashions. And I just believe in that work so much. So what you do, you have two options. The first one is if you're listening, you can open up your phone right now. You can text 83393. That's 83393. And you're going to text the word Jenny, J-E-N-N-I-E to 83393. And they're going to text back a picture of a child and a link. And you click that link and you follow the steps to start sponsoring. And it's really simple. So you can text right now, 83393, and send my name, Jenny, J-E-N-N-I-E, to 83393. The second option is also easy. If you go to Compassion.com backslash made for this, then you can also choose the exact boy or girl that you want to sponsor. We actually have such a fun gift too. If you sponsor a kid using either of these links, you're going to get a free copy of Get Out of Your Head sent to you. And I know some of you already have it, and this is, might be for your friend or your neighbor that you can pass it on, but I just wanted to thank you in some way for being part of this story with us. We're so grateful, and Compassion is so grateful. So do not miss this opportunity. I just think it's fun, too, when we work together and we actually cause a lot of change for a lot of people together. So involve your kids in this, and I just think it feels really important that in these times that are difficult that we remember that the difficulties of other people and empathize with that as well.